Amen. All right, go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 10. I'm just going to read the whole chapter to start it off tonight. This is a short chapter. Revelation chapter 10. Let's go ahead and read it right now. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter and he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So, uh, chapter 10 here, it's a short chapter. There's not a lot there. And in fact, a lot of what we do see, we don't even really know what we're seeing. And I've always you know, been perplexed by the seven thunders. Okay, It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if God wasn't going to tell us what the seven thunders were, why did he tell us there were going to be seven thunders? You know, have you ever had somebody come up to you and be like, I know a secret? And then you're like, what is it? I can't tell you. And it's like, you know, why did you even tell me? All right, you know, now I'm all interested. Now, now I've just got to know this. You know, what's going on? And that's kind of how I've always felt when I've read this passage. And, you know, and I've heard many things through my life. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, that I would often hear is this the seven thunders were just so horrible, they could be written down. And I used to just kind of think about that and get freaked out. It's like, man, I'll. If you know the demonic locusts in chapter nine weren't bad enough, you know we got something so bad, God came and write about it. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's it. Probably that's probably not exactly it. Uh, You know, when it comes to why God tells us there are seven thunders but doesn't tell us what they are, we can only speculate. Okay, and I don't want to spend a lot of time speculating tonight. And one of the things I've been trying to avoid too, as we go through the book of uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, is spend a whole lot of time talking about things that are clearly symbolic, because a lot of the things that are symbolic, most of the time when you hear teaching on Revelation, right? And when I'm talking about most of the time when you hear preaching on Revelation, I'm talking about in the pre-trib world, they will spend a great deal of time talking about symbolic things that they can't even prove their interpretation from the Bible and they will ignore the clear things that are taught in those passages. And I personally think they have to do that. It's kind of a, a distraction to distract you away from the key verses. Otherwise, they'll have to, you know, if people look at the key verses, they'll end up seeing 
that their interpretation is wrong. But basically, to sum up this chapter, what we see here is after the sixth seal in chapter 9, after the second woe, all of a sudden, another vision is inserted in here of John seeing an angel with one foot on the earth, with one foot on the sea. Alright? I don't know what that means exactly. A pre-tribber would probably spend 20 minutes explaining what that means. And probably be wrong at the same time. You know, and then talk about the seven thunders. Uh, you know, but I believe those seven thunders is God showing John more of what is to come. Remember, John wrote about the things that he saw. So God showed John some things that he did not allow him to write down. Okay? And so just like those seals, okay, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. We don't see seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven vile judgments, even though there's a lot of judgments in those things. Well, John sees, John sees seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials showing him things that are to come. These things are visions. Some of them are judgments. Some of them are not judgments. And John here has seen these seven thunders, but, and then God tells him to, what he had written down to take that book and to eat it. And I believe it was Jeremiah did something uh, just like that, where he ate it, it tasted good in his mouth, but it made his belly bitter. And so basically what we can get from that is that we don't get to know what the seven thunders are. So what are we supposed to get from this chapter? What is the main point of this chapter? What are the things that we can learn that will help us understand the things that are to come in the book of Revelation? And it's very important that we get the main thing of this. And I think the key verse in this passage is uh, verse 7. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Alright? That is the key verse right there. So remember, we have... Uh, and I, I, I thought I'd almost like to have a whiteboard up here, but I didn't really have one big enough, and I didn't want to look like a Ruckmanite, you know. But uh, I, w the way I want to explain to you what I think is happening right here, okay? And then I, I'm going to explain, kind of like a, a, I'm going to try to put a diagram in your head without a whiteboard. And, it's, and my diagram too would be way less complicated than like a Robert Breaker uh, diagram, you know. That, those, th those, that guy's such a nut, but. Uh, ho hopefully you'll get this. So, what John has seen so far is he saw seven seals, right? Now, what happened when it got to the seventh seal? He saw six seals, one after another, but when he sees the seventh seal, what comes out of that? Seven trumpets. Alright? Out, out of that seventh seal, we see seven trumpets. When... Then he goes to the trumpets one by one. We see six trumpets, but then when it gets to the seventh trumpet, which it, you know we haven't seen it yet, but when it gets to that time after the succession of the six trumpets, we see seven thunders. Y'all you know, picture that. So just kind of picture you know in a diagram, just six seals. Draw it however you want, and then when you when you draw that seventh seal. You draw like seven lines out of it, showing the trumpets. Alright? And then out of one of those lines for the seventh trumpet, you draw seven more lines for the seven thunders. Y'all get that? 
Now, I tell you all that because, and, I'll, and we'll see more of this when we get to later chapters, a lot of what we're going to be covering in this chapter, um, chapter 11 is very key to understanding, I think, chapter 10. And I don't want to get into too much into chapter 11 because I need to save chapter 11 for next week. Okay, But I, uh, I am going to make the argument a lot next week, and, I'm, and I'll be showing you some of it this week too, that the seventh trumpet... I believe is what is known as the Battle of Armageddon. That's what the seventh trumpet is. I believe the seventh trumpet signals the end, personally. All right. Now, once again, if we're in the wrath of God stuff. You know, if you if we vary a little bit on this, I'm not going to be mad at anybody for it. But this is how I explain it. This is the way I see it, and I want to try to prove this to you from the Bible. And I think this will be a help. So I I personally believe that these seven trump or these seven thunders all kind of have to do with what people call the Battle of Armageddon. And I keep calling it what people call the Battle of Armageddon. Right? I believe it is time we change the name of that. Right? And I'm changing the name. I'm done calling it the Battle of Armageddon. I personally do not believe in a Battle of Armageddon. I believe in a battle of the great day of God Almighty. That's what it should be called. That's what the Bible calls it. And I'm going to show you that there is. I, I do not. I do not even believe there is a battle fought at Armageddon. All right, and I've been there before, and I've been to where the battle of the Great Day of God Almighty takes place too. And they're two different places. Okay, and so, and, and we'll. Say, I'll say a lot more about that when we get to some of the later chapters too, where it goes into detail on that. But I do. I believe these seven thunders all have to do with that battle. Is, is what I personally believe because I believe. The seven thunders, if you're looking at a diagram too of end times events, I think they're simultaneous with the seventh trumpet and the seventh vial, is what I believe. Okay? So, is that, are y'all getting that? Is this making sense? Or do I need to get a whiteboard up here? Alright? If I confuse everybody too bad, even if I have to look like a ruckman, I'll pull a whiteboard up here next week. Alright? If that's, if that's what we need to do. But anyway, so, uh, you know, um, so let's, let's go ahead and start looking at a few more verses. So notice in verse 7 though, it mentions, so this is the key verse, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. What is the mystery of God? And I preached a message on this a while back, mystery of God, and I'm going to be repeating a lot of this stuff because it, it, it definitely needs to be uh, repeated. But it says, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So, when the seventh trumpet sounds, and I believe when the seven thunders take place, the mystery of God is going to be finished that was declared to service the prophets. That's real clear. That's the key, that's the key thing in this passage. That's the key verse that we're supposed to get. So, when the seventh trumpet sounds, what God declared to the prophets is going to be finished. So, here's the question. What is the mystery of God? What did He declare to His servants, the prophets? And if we get that, then all of a sudden we can understand what this is talking about. And I personally believe this is a reference to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. All right? and so let's look at some passages about this because what we're about to look at here, or what it's talking about here, is something, this is not new stuff. This is something that was declared to the prophets. Okay? Now think about it. What other event that we talk about in the book of Revelation is talked, you know, 
it is mentioned. All right, I do think in the Old Testament you can see examples of the rapture, but I think you can see a lot more of the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And I know that's a lot more words than Armageddon, but Armageddon is sending a ba- it's, it's sending the wrong message. Okay, and so uh, there, there's there's more of the prophets referred to that event than they did the rapture. It, they often referred to the day of the Lord. Now, we get raptured in the day of the Lord. okay? But the thing is, when you look in the Old Testament and it's talking about the day of the Lord, it's not talking about the deliverance during that time. It's talking about judgment. okay? Judgment comes in the day of the Lord. We find out in the New Testament that, hey, we are not appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation. You know, We learn that we get yanked out of here before the day of the Lord. And you can see evidence of that too in the Old Testament, but it's not as clear as it is in the New Testament. But the day of the Lord or the final judgment, and I've already explained how these, the six trumpets and the six vials are all birth pains that lead up to the main event. They all are a part of the day of the Lord event, but at the same time, the main event is that final battle that happens at the end. So, um, and you know, more details don't create additional events. Okay, I don't. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, and ever anybody that's watching this too, you know, they follow the other messages, and so they understand what I'm talking about right there. But let's. So, why do I believe that this is that battle of the great day of God Almighty that some refer to as Armageddon? Well, first off, it's one of the oldest prophecies. Okay, now in the book of Jude, verse one fourteen, it says, "And Enoch." Also, the seventh from Adam. Okay, Enoch goes way back. Enoch is before the flood. Okay, Enoch is way back there. Okay, and Enoch, you know, he was translated, and Sam Gip was wrong. Enoch was not a picture of the rapture when he got raptured before the flood, because he got raptured like six hundred years or something before the flood. All right, it was hundreds of years before the flood. If he would have lived to the flood. He would have been older than much older than Methuselah at that time. All right, that's just pre-trib symbology that it, that they have made sound doctrine, and that's just more it's more pre-trib foolishness. All right, but Enoch prophesied, saying, "Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment." Upon all, and to convince all their ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. It was prophesied way back then that one of these days God was going to come back with his saints to judge the world. He was going to, and you know, he was going to judge sins. Why? Because it's ungodly. He keeps mentioning ungodly, ungodly in there. They have known for. Thousands of years that a day was going to come when God was going to come back and He was going to judge this earth. It's one of the oldest. It's one of the oldest prophecies that we see in the Bible. Look, turn over to Revelation chapter sixteen. All right, Revelation chapter sixteen. So this is uh, this is where the whole um, battle of Armageddon things come from. But let's let's take a look at this and let's ask ourselves if we should be calling this the battle of Armageddon. It says in uh, and I'm going to show you more Old Testament prophecies here in a little bit. But let me show you this first. And so it says in verse 12 of chapter 16, And the sixth angel poured out his vial into the great river Euphrates. Now notice this. This is the sixth angel referring to the six vials. Showing that this kind of helps give credibility to the whole idea 
of the seven trumpets and the seven vials being simultaneous. We're just getting additional details um, here in chapter 16. They're not the exact same judgments, but I do believe they're happening at the same time. Okay, So this is the sixth angel. So what comes after six? Seven. Seventh vial, that's going to be Armageddon. All right. I said it again. Battle of the great day of God Almighty. All right. So it says, And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Okay? So we have these unclean spirits that go come out of the mouth like frogs trying to get the kings together, trying to gather all the armies together because they're fixing to have a battle. And it's the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Okay? Now, do we see the battle being fought there? Now, we see all the armies being gathered together there, but I personally believe he's gathered them all there to get ready for them to get ready to come on Jerusalem. Okay? Now, everybody that talks about the battle of Armageddon, every pre-trib preacher I've ever heard, when they talk about the battle of Armageddon, they will they'll obviously go to this passage, and then they will talk about, you know, if, especially if it's a prophecy preacher, he's going to get up and he's going to tell you, now, I've been to the Megiddo Valley over there in Israel. And you go and you look and just the valley goes for miles and miles. A massive valley. One of these days, it's all going to be filled with blood up to the horse's bridle. It's an unimaginable amount of blood. And I remember when I went there, they told us all this stuff. And I'm looking out there in that valley and I'm thinking, how can that be? It's huge. I mean, it is a huge, huge valley. How is this physically possible? You know, it just... it's. It's crazy to think about. And, but I was like, well, you know, that's, the Bible says the blood's going to flow to the horse's bridle there at the, you know, at the Megiddo Valley. Therefore, it's got to be true. Well, do we see that in this passage right here? We don't see that anywhere in this passage. Okay? And then after that, it goes to the seventh vial. And, and I'm not going to take the time to get into that, but I believe that you know that's said you know it, it it's given extra details but i believe it's around this time when this final battle takes place but notice there is no there's nothing mentioned here about a battle ta- or fighting we don't see any blood flowing to the horses bridles we don't see any of that in this passage all right that's something that we see that's something that we see later all right but so notice this battle this is when jesus executes judgment i believe it's what jude 115 is referring to. And then uh, in Revelation 11.18, turn over to there. Revelation 11, verse 18, says, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them, 
which destroy the earth. Alright? And this here, this is at the end of the third woe. This is at the end of the seventh trumpet. We don't, we're not going to take time to go through all chapter 11. We'll cover this next week. But notice how it mentions here when it gets to the end of the seven years. And, it, and it's, I'll, I'll easily prove this is the end of the seven years next week in this passage. We're not going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now. But it mentions, hey, it, your wrath has come. And you know, you're here to destroy them, which destroy the earth. This is when Jesus is coming back to bring judgment down. And you know, so it's the time of the dead that they should be judged. Look at what it says in Revelation 16 and verse 16. It says, and he gathered them together in the place in uh, Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And so that he's he's getting them together because he's getting them ready for this final battle when he's going to judge the earth. That's what's going on. Right there. So something we need to realize, and that the pre-tribbers do not understand. And this is one of these things. This is one of the things that real early on, when I started realizing I was wrong in prophecy, when I when I learned this, I, it was just it was another error. I just felt completely let down by the pre-tribbers. It's like how did they miss this? Because this is really clear. Because I was I was there. I was told this is the Megiddo Valley. This is where the battle is going to be fought and the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridles. And I'm looking at that as a 19-year-old that just trusts anybody that has the name Baptist and uses the King James Bible. I'm thinking it's got to be true even though this doesn't make any sense and doesn't even seem possible. But and that, that is what I was told. That is what people preach about. You listen to any preacher, preacher, preacher in Armageddon, he's going to talk about the blood flowing to the horse's bridles. Okay? It's, it's, going, it's going to happen. But it's not at the Megiddo Valley where that happens. It is at the Valley of Jehoshaphat where that takes place. Okay, Let me prove that to you. Turn over to Joel chapter 3. Now, I'm not the only one that's put these passages together with the battle of the great day of God Almighty or as the pre-tribbers would call it, Armageddon. They all use these passages. Okay, In fact, they've all used this. All these passages I'm showing you that are about this battle you know, I, I had to keep going back and checking to make sure it actually was about that battle because, you know, this is what I learned from the pre-trippers. Right? I learned to put all these together uh, by them. So I kept wanting to make sure. I, I better make sure this is right. I better make sure this is actually what this is talking about. And, and I, do, I do believe it was right. But look what it says in Joel 3, verse 12. It says, Let the heathen be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Okay? It looks like God's coming to judge the heathen during this time. This looks like a clear reference to what we've been seeing in Revelation. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Okay? Right here, I believe this is talking about that final battle that's about to take place. Okay, and notice it mentions this is going to happen in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Okay, now where is the Valley of Jehoshaphat? Well, first let's look at Zechariah chapter fourteen. Zechariah chapter fourteen says, "Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken." And the house is rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. 
Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Okay, So right here in this battle, where are everybody coming at? At. Where are they all coming at? They're coming at Jerusalem, the Bible says. Okay? Now, if you go and you look at Jerusalem today, where it's at, and if you look at, uh, you know, so picture where that Dome of the Rock is and everything. Okay? If you were standing on that area that they call the Temple Mount, and you look to the east that's mentioned, you know what you're going to be looking at? You're going to be looking at the Mount of Olives. Bible says that they are all going to be coming at Jerusalem. And then that day, Jesus is going to step down. He's going to step His foot on the Mount of Olives that's to the east of there. Guess what's in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem? There's a big valley there known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That's where the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. It's right outside of Jerusalem. When you're right outside of Jerusalem, you have right in front of what they call that eastern gate, there's a whole big valley that goes along there and kind of curves off to the side. That whole valley of Jehoshaphat, it ends up kind of connecting to another area that was referred to in New Testament time, or in the Old Testament time, as the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. The Valley of the Son of Hinnom, that is the place where they would go and they would offer their children. Uh, to, to the, you know, they, uh, their children would pass through the fire. The Bible calls it. That's a place too in the New Testament time that they referred to as Gehenna. When you hear these Jewish rabbis say they've been to hell before, it's because they visited Gehenna, which is another valley that's kind of off to the south from there. And I just think it's interesting that the... Uh, place where the final battle is going to be fought, where the blood is going to flow, guess what it's all going to be going to? It's going to be going to that place where some of the most horrible wickedness that was ever done in Israel took place. It's like God always knew what was going to happen. Where some of the most wicked things ever took place, one day is going to be, there's going to be blood flowing like a river through there. Up to the horses' bridles. Now, when you look at that valley, it's pretty big. I, uh, I don't have it here in my notes, but it mentions how many furlongs it is, and I've looked it up. And according to, uh, according to the things that I've, you know, measurements and things, it's about two and a half miles. If you can go on Google Earth, you can look at this valley, you can measure it, you can do you can do these lines, make miles and stuff, and it's about two and a half miles long. I mean, it's it's exactly what the Bible describes. And there, if you picture all of the armies of the earth gathering together there. I mean, just you know, thousands and thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It is very possible that in that valley you would see blood flowing up to the horses' bridles. There it would very, very well be possible. And I believe it will happen because the Bible says it happens. But it's going to happen in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The Bible is very clear about that. But somehow, for some reason, because of Revelation 16 where it mentions Armageddon, everybody's just decided that that valley's it. But that's not. The Bible's very clear. It's at the valley of Jehoshaphat. Revelation 16.16, 16, it's the only place in Revelation 
or Armageddon's even mentioned. And it only says the armies are gathered there. It never says they fight there. And so, and it, after it mentions Armageddon, it mentions the, uh, the armies gathering there, but it doesn't mention the battle being fought. It men- right after that, it mentions the destruction of Babylon, which makes sense because Babylon is destroyed before the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So it, 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 all make, it all makes perfect sense when you realize chapter 16 is not talking about that final battle. That's not what it's talking about. It's just the armies are getting ready during that time because God's plan on taking care of Babylon and then as soon as He's done taking care of Babylon, then He's going to come and take care of things at business in Jerusalem. And it's going to be a bloodbath on that day. So, after it mentions Armageddon, it tells about the destruction of Babylon, but it's not until Revelation 19 that we see what they call the battle of Armageddon, where Jesus comes riding in on the white horse. That's not until Revelation 19. That's not in chapter 16. That's not until Revelation 19. Okay, so what about this blood flowing to the horses' bridles that I keep mentioning, alright? Well, let's look at Joel again, alright? Let's remind you of what it said in Joel in verse, um, Chapter 3, verse 12, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge the heathen, all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. Alright, what is a press? Talk about a wine press. And the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Alright? Now let's look at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14. The similarities in these passages are just undeniable what it's, what it's talking about. It says in verse 14, it says, I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Alright, now I'm not trying to do like a Ruckmanite cross reference here, alright? You know, the Ruckmanites, they'll just see the same words, just automatic cross reference if it fits their agenda. Okay, you, you can't you can't do that. All right, you got to be careful with that. But all right, when we start seeing a whole bunch of them all at once, you know, then it can, it's pretty much undeniable. All right, but just because we see the word sickle doesn't mean anything. But we did see a sickle mentioned in uh, Joel chapter three. But look what it says in verse fifteen. And another angel came out of the temple, cried with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, "Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap." For the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Alright? So right there what we're seeing is a vision of an angel. First we see a vision of one angel reaping the harvest and taking it to heaven that I believe is a reference to the rapture. 
Okay? What we're seeing right here in chapter 14 is, is two main visions. There's one, there's a harvest of believers where they're all taken to heaven. Secondly, we see another harvest, but this is a harvest of the non-believers and these people are thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the Bible says when, they are, when, when that happens, they're going to be trodden without the city and the blood is going to flow to the horses' bridles. I believe this is a symbolic reference to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And this verse is the only passage, is the only place in the Bible where it talks about the blood flowing to the horses' bridles. And the similarities of it and Joel chapter 3 are undeniable. Joel 3, it's talking about the valley of Jehoshaphat. There, and I believe this is talking about the valley of Jehoshaphat too. There's, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way around that. Go to Isaiah chapter 63. Alright, so uh, let me show you one verse in Revelation 19, verse 15. We all know this verse. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So Revelation 19 that everybody says is the battle of Armageddon, I think it's safe to say this is the same event as Revelation chapter 14 because of the fact we see him treading the winepress of his wrath. That is that battle of the great day of God Almighty. Isaiah 63 verse 1, look what it says here. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? <clears throat> this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Is it safe to say this is the same event right here? So we've seen the same event, clearly the same event in in detail, alright? A detailed event where a battle is fought, where God is, I mean, treading the wine press of the fierceness of his wrath. We've seen it in Joel, we've seen it in Zechariah, we've seen it in Isaiah, we see in Jude that Enoch prophesied of this event. And I'm not even going to take all the time to show you all the other references in the Old Testament to the day of the Lord that is associated with this event. That it was mentioned over and over and over again by the prophets. And so I show you all this to say that when we look at Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he should begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared unto the servants of the prophets. What other event could that be? This is an event, this is a mystery that was talked about over and over and over again. This battle is one of the most prophesied events in the Bible. And when it comes to, especially when it comes to events that haven't happened yet, okay? There was a lot of prophecies about Jesus' first coming, 
Those are all fulfilled. But when it comes to Old Testament passages especially, or Old Testament prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, this is probably the main one. I can't, I can't think of any other one. So there's references to the rapture, but I think there's a lot more to this. And then even some of those references to the rapture, you find they have this event in there too. So this is, this is the main event that is yet to come that was revealed to the prophets. And interestingly enough, it tells us this happens in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. It tells us this after the sixth trumpet when God reveals to John the seventh seals. When we get to chapter 11, it's going to talk about the, the two witnesses. They're going to prophesy for three and a half years. And, then, and, and I'm going to show next week how that's referring to the time of the Gentiles that goes up until you know, Armageddon, or the battle of the great day of God Almighty. I'm going to have a tough time getting over saying that. But we do, we, so we've seen all these examples. This has got to be event. So God bringing judgment to the world, it's something all the prophets have been waiting for for thousands of years. They've been waiting for this. And see, now this is something too where your pro-Israel people get messed up. Because here's, here's something that the, old te- the people in the Old Testament missed that they didn't understand. Okay? The, they like talking about the mountain peaks of prophecy and all that. You know, and I, I, I believe in the mountain peaks of prophecy and all that. But what they do, when the Jews were, when they looked at these prophecies, this is how they saw them. One of these days, the Messiah is going to come and He's going to judge the world because of sin. That's what they saw. That's what they were waiting for. But in their minds, they're thinking, you know, He's going to come and take care of all of us. He's going to vindicate us. He's going to give us everything back. He's going to come and judge the world for sin. When Jesus Christ came, one of the things that He revealed to them, to Israel, is when I come to deal with the world because of sin, guess what? You all are included in that because all the sins of the other nations, you've committed them too. This is something they did not see. This was, they were not expecting this. When Jesus Christ came the first time, Israel looked at themselves and they thought, you know, we're ready for the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to deliver us. He's going to give everything to us. We're all good. But no, God sent John the Baptist before Jesus telling these people to repent. Telling these people they need to believe on Him that should come after Him. Well, Jesus Christ came. He preached the Gospel to them. He preached repentance to them. He taught these people that they were sinners that were in need of a Savior and they didn't see that. They thought, no, we need a deliverer. We need a deliverer from all of our enemies. But Jesus tried to reveal them. No, hey, guess what? You are your own enemy because you are a sinner. Out of Zion shall... Uh, I'm going to mess it up. I didn't have it. Yeah. Out of Zion will come a deliverer that shall turn the enemies away from Jacob. No. Turn ungodliness away from Jacob. Turn ungodliness away from Jacob. That's what everybody misses on Romans 11 too. No, Jesus, when He comes, He already came, and the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Acts, He turned ungodliness away from Jacob when He died on the cross. This is not something that's yet to come. He already did that. 
And so the truth is, before he can come and do all these all these things that we see in Revelation, all those things that were prophesied where he judges the world, he's got to come and he's got to deliver his people from their sin first. So they can be spared the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God was on the Jews too, because they were sinners too. And so thank God there is this time Jesus Christ came where not only can Jews be delivered from their sins, but Gentiles can be delivered from their sins too. We don't have to be under the wrath of God if we'll get under the blood of Jesus Christ. If we'll call on Him for salvation. And so now, one of these days when Jesus Christ comes back, He is, He's going to pull us out before He pours His wrath out. But unfortunately, Israel today is still saying, we're looking for a deliverer from our enemies on earth. Sam Gipp is out preaching to these people and preaches to Jews that a deliverer is going to come and deliver them from their enemies, not understanding that no, sin is their enemy. They need to be delivered from their sin. That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus Christ comes back on this day, they are going to suffer judgment and the wrath of God. And the Bible is crystal clear on that. These guys, they're just dead wrong on it. They're dead wrong because of their just mixed up garbage they've got caught up into from this pre-trib nonsense and this Zionist nonsense. And so, yes, the Jews were expecting a deliverer to deliver them from their enemies. They missed that their biggest enemy was themselves. They were looking for this event. They did not realize if they didn't believe on Christ, they were going to be included in the judgment in this event. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Israel. That's going to be their fate. So God bringing some judgment to the world, it's something all the prophets have been waiting for for thousands of years. It's something that was prophesied and is still yet to come. So the mystery of God is the final battle. The parallels are crystal clear. The seventh trumpet and the seventh vial, I believe, are references to this event. All right, but the trumpet and the vials just give different details. All right, turn to Revelation 11 and then and Revelation 16. All right, get get ready to look back and forth at both of these things. Let me read these passages to you about the seventh trumpets and the seventh vial. So in verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voices in heaven saying. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. Okay? Now what does the Bible teach us later in Revelation? There's going to, the world is going to be split up into ten kingdoms, right? So what are those kingdoms? I believe it's those ten kingdoms. And the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. Why? Because He just came back and He beat all their armies. He defeated all of them. So now they're His kingdoms and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Okay, And the four and twenty elders sat which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give Thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because Thou hast taken to Thee Thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and Thy wrath is come, in the time of the dead that they should be judged, that Thou shouldst give reward unto Thy servants the prophets and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. 
Now let's look at chapter 16 and verse 17. But keep your finger in Revelation 11. It says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. We Notice we see the temple mentioned both times being involved here. Verse 18, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. We saw that also at the seventh vial. Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. And notice too in verse 19 of Revelation 11 when it mentions the lightnings, voices, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail is mentioned. Okay? So understand, while there are... There's many of the same things mentioned, just you have some additional details. And it's very clear when it gets to the seventh trumpet and the seventh vial, it's like, you know, God's wrath has come, the nations have been judged, you know, the kingdoms of our Lord of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We see a finality to these things. We see an ending to these things. Why? Because these are references to this great battle. Now, where you can get confused, where it might get a little confusing on this stuff, because so you've been jumping around a lot talking about this final battle. We've seen it in chapter 14. We've seen it in chapter 16. We see it in chapter 19. You know, how how does this timeline work? All right. Now, you know, I I believe the these first 11 chapters they're a little easier to put a chronology to it because they are very chronological. I mean, I believe pretty much everything we're seeing here in chapters 1 through 11 are just, it's chronological. Okay? In chapter 11, I'll show you this next week, while the main event at the end, you know, does come after everything we saw in the previous 10 chapters, there is stuff that's referenced in there that happened, you know, during some of those other trumpets. Okay? So it's not just like one continuous straight story, but it is for the most part in chapters 1 through 11. But then, when you get to the next 11 chapters, it kind of tells the story again, but with different details. However, in, in chapter 11, what we're, look, what we're going to be seeing are just a lot of visions representing different events. It's not necessarily all telling the story completely in a chronological way. Okay, it does jump around a little bit in chapter 11. It's kind of chronological, but it's not completely chronological. And so as we go through those chapters, I'll show you how to be able to tell where we're at. And I, I think it's pretty easy to tell. But here's what I think, is, here's what I think happens in the, in the book of Revelation. Okay, I could be wrong on this, but note, look what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Because you say, why does it do that? Why does it go 1 through 11 and then kind of repeat the chapters? Okay? And at the anti-Anderson conference, you know, get being an idiot and a liar just like he always is, he got up there and he, he was, and everybody in the, and everybody in the congregation is laughing about this, alright? I'm in there while he's, he's, he's saying this on the platform up in church and he's just lying. 
And all the just poor, ignorant saps in the congregation that are in this church because they just trust their pastor and would think he would never bring in just a nut job heretic in there. They're all laughing about this as he exposes Pastor Anderson and his, you know, after the tribulation documentary. And he went, he's like, Pastor Anderson, he says that, you know, book of Revelation goes 1 through 11, and then it repeats it again. And so he says, chapter 1 and chapter 12 go together, and chapter 2 and chapter 13 go together, and so on. And then he was like showing some of the huge differences in there. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you idiot. That is not how he explains it, you stinking liar. I mean, he's. He's just making this up and, and everybody's having a good laugh about it. He did it at the college and, and, and everybody's just laughing. Like, Isn't this stupid? You know, I mean, here we go. You know, chapter 4, this is when the rapture takes place. You know, and, and then he like went to chapter 17 and uh, showing something that's way at the end of everything. And everybody's just laughing about it. This is so stupid. How could anybody watch this stuff? Alright, just nobody, nobody teaches that. Nobody believes that. Sam Gibbs just a liar and a moron. That's all there is to it. I just, uh, you know, I, I cannot believe the fraud that man is, and the fact that he got away with it for as long as he did. Thankfully, I'm, I thank God he, the man got exposed. But one through eleven doesn't mean chapter one and chapter thirteen, you know, and so on. All right, it just basically it's like it's writing the whole thing out, one through eleven. But notice what it says in Revelation 5.1. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. Sealed with seven seals. Okay? I think what it's saying, this book, it was written within and on the backside. Maybe it's like a scroll. He writes the whole thing out on one side and then he writes the whole thing out again on the other side. That very well could be what we're seeing. That's why we see half the book going through events from beginning to end. And then we see the second half kind of going through events from beginning to end. I personally think that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. I think one side, you know, and I think the front side is more, I know a lot of this is all in heaven, but it's more of an earthly perspective, I think, that we're seeing. Where when we get to chapter or the second side, it's a lot more visions and things. There's a lot of clear representation and stuff. And I think there you can say it's more kind of like a heavenly look at it. That that's the way that's the way I look at it. And it doesn't mean each chapter, because the chapters were added later. Alright? It doesn't mean each chapter lines up. That is just a stupid straw man argument that Sam Gipp came up with. And I've heard some other just idiots try to repeat that, you know, because it got Sam Gipp a good laugh, you know, so it'll, you know, and everybody thought, you know, after the tribulation was stupid after that. And so they'll go and they'll try to use the same thing. The problem is, unless you're talking to an audience of ignorant morons, it's not going to help you out. Nobody believes that. And so I want to, I want to briefly mention, you know, one other thing that to show how the mystery of God being finished is a reference to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Because you know, right after the seven thunders and the mystery of God is mentioned, we see a reference to a three and a half year period that ends the time of the Gentiles. That's what chapter eleven is going to be about. Okay, and the time of the Gentiles 
ends right before the final battle. And so I, uh, this, this is also an event that was prophesied a lot. Okay, The time of the Gentiles, we'll look at some of this next week, this is another majorly prophesied event. This is another thing that the Jews missed. This is another thing that they didn't understand was the time of the Gentiles. That is prophesied over and over again. We're going to look at that next week. But I think it's interesting to note this time of the Gentiles, it kind of reminds us of this battle of the great day of God Almighty because the time of the Gentiles, when it ends, it, it ends at that battle. So I think chapter 11, when we see this time of the Gentiles, that is another majorly prophesied event, the fact that it ends at that time is just more proof that the seventh vial, the seventh trumpet, the seven thunders, they're all really about the battle of the great day of God Almighty. That is the mystery of God that is going to be finished. That's when it's all going to be done. I personally think too, when it mentions there in chapter 10, when it said there shall be time no longer, it doesn't mean time is ceasing to exist, but... Time as we know it, all right, will cease to it. It will be done at that time. All these times, these periods of history, it, it it's going to end at that point. When this battle takes place, when that battle is ended, time as we know it is going to be done. The clock's going to reset. It's going to be. We're going to start the years all over again. We will enter into a completely new age, one like never before. One where Jesus Christ will be on this earth ruling and reigning in righteousness. So to sum up chapter 10, it's basically a chapter where we're told there are some things to come that we're not allowed to be told about. And yeah, that kind of stinks. But whatever these events are, these events that we were not allowed, we, that John was not allowed to tell us about are about the battle of the great day of God Almighty. They, this, these events, the seven thunders, happen around the, or the, and the days of the seventh angel when the mystery of God is finished. So the key to understanding chapter 10 is you have to understand what the mystery of God is that He declared unto His prophets. And that is the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So hopefully that all made sense and hopefully you have a clear understanding of that final battle. Don't call it the battle of Armageddon. Called the battle of the great day of God Almighty. That's what the Bible calls it. That, that, that's what it is. So hopefully that all makes sense. Uh, we'll, we'll cover even more details on this next week as we go through chapter 11 that I think will hopefully make it even, make it even more clear. So anyway, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for uh, what You revealed to us, dear God. And Lord, I pray You'll help us not to go crazy speculating on the things that You chose to withhold from us, but we'll focus on the clear messages that are in there and that we will... Uh, uh, interpret the Bible according to those things. And I pray that uh, this was a help uh, to everyone. And just we ask your blessing as we continue to go through the rest of this book. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.